Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, September the 1st, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me today, bright-eyed and eager and clutching their brand new pencil cases and copybooks, are our returning pupils, Pat Leahy, Jennifer Bray and Cormac McQuinn. Good morning, class. Morning, Good sir. Morning. Morning. Morning, Moontor. Teacher. Hope there were no tears at the gates uh, this morning, but there's no shortage of news. There really is a, a serious back to school, start of the new term kind of a feel uh, this week. And of course, we had the major announcement yesterday, Jen, about the essentially the unwinding of nearly all the restrictions which have been in place for the last 18 months or so. Yeah, so the between now and the end of October, effectively, we'll see the gradual unwinding of the remaining restrictions. And October 22nd is the date that has been set for those remaining restrictions to fall away by a couple, such as um, wearing face masks in certain settings, like in retail or in public transport. So I suppose I'll run through some of the, the changes that were announced quickly. Um, so from today onwards, we'll see a return to 100% capacity on public transport. Um, I think that was done in order to sort of facilitate return to workplaces, people going back to work, people going back to college, and the fact that that space will be needed. Um, and then I suppose the next key date is September the 6th. And from then we'll see an easing of restrictions on indoor and outdoor events and mass gatherings. So look, effectively, sometimes we're kind of confusing when you get all the facts and figures and numbers, but my reading of it is it's a maximum of 75% capacity for outdoor gatherings where everyone is vaccinated or 50% if you want it to be mixed, if you want to have both vaccinated and unvaccinated people there. And then for indoors, it'll be a maximum 60% where everyone is vaccinated. Um, Other than that, if you want to have vaccinated and unvaccinated people together, like for example, in a cinema or a theatre, you'll have to stick to the current limit, which is 50 people. Um, So that's that from the 6th of September. Um, There's a couple of different definitions of what mass gatherings are, but we won't go into that. I think that that's kind of getting into too much of the nitty gritty. Um, People obviously were wondering about weddings, um, given that there's changes to crowd limits, but there's going to be no change to the current limit, which is 100 guests for the month of September. Um, But you will be able to have live music at your wedding. And the government announced yesterday that they will lift the prohibition on dancing. So... Yes, there is that. So we can celebrate that. The next big date then is September the 20th. That's when you're going to see the phased return um, to the workplace. Um, It's not a kind of big bang day. Everyone goes back to the office. It's kind of going in for key meetings or, you know, big, big company events. It's not everyone back at their desk. Um, though I'm sure there are some civil servants who probably will disagree with me when I say that. Um, And then also what you'll see on September 20th is the removal of restrictions on outdoor events. Um, And then indoors, you can have up to 100 people. And I'm talking here about, you know, sports classes like yoga, um, uh, other dance classes, stuff like that. And so that's that. And then 22nd, which I mentioned, was when this kind of final date. So if you're wondering how many people can I have at my wedding after October 22nd or how many people this, that and the other, everything is gone, except for a few things, like I mentioned in relation to the masks. So from 22nd onwards, um, the requirement for physical distancing will go and the requirement to wear a mask outdoors and in indoor private settings. Like I said, the limit of numbers of people indoor and outdoor events and activities, restrictions on religious and civil ceremonies, 
um, limits that can meet in your home or in your garden. And importantly, which I think uh, some people will welcome, the cert- certification of vaccination, basically proving that you are vaccinated to get into activities uh, or events, though it will still remain for international travel. For the time being, though, Eamon Ryan said yesterday they hope to remove the requirement for the digital travel search sometime by the end of the year. Also, from the 22nd, for our younger uh, podcast listeners, uh, restrictions eased on what they call high-risk activities, a.k.a. coppers. Um, so there's there's that as well. So that they're the main changes, um, Hugh. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there's various complications within that, and uh, we, we might touch on a couple of them in a minute. But I mean, uh, it strikes me, for example, that get your wedding in before October the 20th so you don't have to invite all those aunts and uncles who you don't like in the first place anyway are going to cost you a, f- a fortune. That is absolutely what I would do. <laughs> but, but just in the in the broader picture, Pat, uh, you, you adopt a somewhat Churchillian tone in your analysis in today's newspaper where you say this is the beginning of the end. I think this is uh, probably the most uh, significant day since, or yesterday was the most significant day uh, we've had in a long time. Previous reopenings were, uh, you know, cautious and conditional, taking place against uh, a background of uh, of only partial vaccination. And um, this one is kind of the big bang. Um, it takes place against a uh, background of not quite universal, but soon to be universal uh, vaccination. And it has a, as its end date what the government is uh, following the, are uh, not conspicuously not following the Johnsonian uh, example and calling the Freedom Day, but uh, it, it, it amounts to a similar move, the falling of almost all restrictions as, uh, as Jen has announced. Um, There are some nerves around government and uh, as we report today, um, there seems to have been a good deal more caution from the Neffet side of things on this occasion and certainly what I was told last night and I know Jack Horgan-Jones is writing on this this morning that um, uh, that Neffet was of the view that uh, it should be delayed, uh, it should be delayed for a couple of weeks. The view of ministers was if we're going to do this, uh, then we should do it. We should do it now. If not now, then when? Which was very much the sort of thing that we heard from the British government, albeit a few months earlier than uh, than we are doing it. And uh, with a concomitant uh, shortage or, 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 or lack of vaccination or lack of universal vaccination, I suppose. So, yeah, it is it is the big move. I think it is not beyond the bounds of possibility at all that some of those deadlines might slip a little. And government was quite clear, both Taoiseach and Tanishta were quite clear on this in the press conference last night, that if cases go higher than they uh, they expect and therefore put more pressure on the hospital system and specifically on the ICUs than the modelling suggests is likely. Then they will uh, they will put the brakes on, but there is not an expectation in government that that will happen. And uh, and even if you look at the sort of numbers that the Neffed modelling produces of, you know, 5,000 cases a day or something uh, like that, that um, they believe that they can, uh, they believe that they can live with that. So it is, all systems go 
on the reopening. And that is, people won't need to be told, a very, very significant thing indeed. Yeah, Cormac, just just looking at what's envisaged over the next over the next few weeks for the month of September. I mean, obviously, I've I've a particular interest in the in in the arts and entertainment end of things, and I think actually the effect of those uh, relaxations is not going to be hugely dramatic in the first few weeks, partly because you know venues and promoters and shows and bands aren't ready to go yet, and that's going to take you know take a little while, and there are you know there are restrictions on people's behaviour, so that's going to be relatively low key. Actually, the thing that some critics of this plan, including the ISAG, the Zero COVID uh, group, are focusing more on actually is what is the impact within all this of schools, which of course are back this uh, this week, and they're back against a backdrop of you know very high positivity in the community driven by Delta. Yeah, there'll certainly be a very close eye kept on the impact of the return to schools, whether COVID is is spreading among, among children and. And, uh, you know, that, that will certainly feed into things. But you're, you're right there. You would wonder about the, the impact of the, certainly the early days, you know, in terms of the, the, the live entertainment industry. I mean, a lot of venues, as I understand it, require a kind of an 80% capacity to be viable for shows and things like that. So they're not going to be too quick to be, to be putting on, putting on, uh, gigs or comedy, comedy events and things like that. And um, also in that sphere, um, we're still none the wiser in terms of what's, what's happening, uh, with electric picnics, so I mean the 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 wellies and wet wipes and slabs of craft beer brigade are are still wondering what's going on with that. There was very little on that yesterday, and uh, it it seems like one of these things that uh, you know time is running out on it, and may, maybe it's going to quietly be be dropped despite all the the work that was said to be going on about it. Um, but yeah, I mean the the, the schools people will monitor the schools, but also then the, the return to offices. Uh, from the 20th of September onwards, there's there's probably work still to be done there in terms of the, the guidance for employers, how this will be done, what sort of social distancing will, will be required. The organisation, uh, the, the Health and Safety Authority has done up check, checklists for employers already, but but th- these these kinds of things will have to be communicated broadly so we can we can watch out for that uh, as, as that, uh, that approaches as well uh, on September 20th. I mean, I always thought the electric picnic thing was a bit of a sideshow anyway, Jen. But obviously there had been an increased clamour from the arts, culture and entertainment sector who were starting to feel really left behind as we moved through August and there was no sign of what a plan would be. I wonder, looking at, you know, what has been announced this week, did they actually manage to get things, to get the government to get a move on a little bit more than they would otherwise? Because it did seem to come out of, come out very quickly, the sort of these measures now. They're very, they're, they're slightly lastminute.com. Yeah, I think they did. And I think that every, you've seen throughout the pandemic, every sector that has campaigned and has kind of made their voice heard loudly, you know, they have been able to maybe speed things up a little bit. I mean, the, the, these restrictions obviously would have been eased uh, in time anyway, but I think that sector made um, their voices heard very clearly throughout August. And what we saw was before the ministers went off for their, their you know, holidays and before cabinet finished up for that month of August, this was raised as an issue by Catherine Martin, who said that despite the fact that she had written letters to the three party leaders, uh, I think a, a number of letters, uh, complaining about the fact that there was no plan for this, uh, that there had been no movement on it. And she was saying that there was a plan needed now. So that pressure was basically put on from a very early stage in August. And, you know, what what happened then was that the Taoiseach agreed that they would work on that plan throughout the month of August. And they did. They met, they met a number of times on the Cabinet subcommittee. So it didn't come out of nowhere. It, it was in the ether um, throughout the month of August. 
Um, but I definitely think that the the campaigning element to it helped to, to push it on a little bit. And the, the issue around Electric Picnic, um, I think there are some people who will care a lot about Electric Picnic happening, but I also think there are some people who won't. I do think it became kind of a lightning rod for the issue um, to highlight as well some of the inconsistencies around uh, live entertainment and sports in particular. You know, we saw um, a lot of complaints about scenes around Drumcondra and, you know, large gatherings of crowds at a time when you couldn't have anybody at a gig. And that was a good contrast, I think, for that campaign. Um, but yeah, you know, I, they the hope, their their biggest hope was that they'd have some movement in early September. And that's exactly what's happened. Albeit that it is mainly bigger crowds for vaccinated people for the time being. And like Pat said, those later dates in October, when the requirement uh, for those different crowd numbers is lifted, that, that those dates can change, that we might not necessarily have that October 22nd date. But it is the trajectory that they hope for. And from what I hear, the sector is actually quite happy. Isn't it true, Pat, that certainly up until this week, um, and arguably for the next few weeks as well, that Ireland is an outlier compared to pretty much every other European country and our near neighbours in the UK and uh, and and North America as well, in that our restrictions have been stricter and have lasted for longer. And we haven't necessarily had that much of a gain out of it because we've still got one of the highest positivity rates, if not the highest, in the EU. Yes, and this is one of the things that is puzzling both public health experts and politicians. If our, uh, if as you say, our restrictions are tighter and have gone on longer than everybody else's, then why do we have, uh, then why do we have such high case numbers? Of course, you could turn that around and say, well, then clearly, if that is the case, clearly our restrictions are not preventing high case numbers so we might as well uh, we might as well loosen them i think it though we should we should bear in mind that it's the high that high case numbers are not what they used to be just like everything else says you um that uh, that is not the metric that uh, policymakers are focused on what they are focused on is pressure on the hospitals and actually while we were all fixated for so long on those daily case numbers and watched them as they came in every afternoon and evening. The restrictions were always there to protect the hospitals and the lockdowns were there to protect the health sector and the health system from being overwhelmed by case numbers because high case numbers were producing uh, were producing a certain amount of hospital admissions and those hospital admissions were producing in turn a certain amount of people in ICU and uh, and in turn people were dying. But the link between high, high case numbers and admissions to hospital has been dramatically changed in that. So we might now get much fewer admissions to hospital and therefore admissions into ICU and therefore deaths um, from high case numbers. So the high case numbers of thousands a day are not something that policymakers are overly worried uh, are overly worried about. Now, that observation only goes so far. So clearly, if you got, you know, for argument's sake, 10, 20,000 new cases every day, a certain proportion, the, the proportion of those 
that would give you hospital admissions would be too great for the hospital system to um, uh, to 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 bear. So uh, you know the link has been changed, but not entirely, uh, but not entirely broken. But it is that change in the relationship between case numbers and hospital admissions, and therefore pressure on the health system due to the vaccination that has really enabled this reopening to go ahead. And that's why there is a high degree of comfort might be the wrong word, but there is some degree of confidence uh, amongst the political leadership that, um, uh, you know, that, that this reopening will be irreversible. We should also take note, I think, of the position of the public on this, Cormac. I mean, I think, as, as far as I know, the most recent research shows that the public is still split upon how cautious or how freewheeling to be at this point. And I think some people will even be surprised by the, the level of opening up, which is due to happen now, over over the next month or so. And they may not change their behaviour uh, particularly quickly. And, you know, we mentioned already um, the question of going back to work, which is going to be a fascinating... Um, sociological as well as an economic as well as a political exercise. It's one thing to say you can go back to work and it's another thing for people to go back to work. Yeah, I suspect a lot of people have gotten very used to the the, the lack of a, an hour-long commute in and out of, the, out of cities and and uh, you know they can they can drop off their children to to school. They can they can pick up something in the local bakery and they come back and uh, and uh, start their, start their day's work. If that's starting to sound a lot like my day, um, you might be uh, you mightn't be in, totally incorrect to think that. Yeah, too many trips to the local bakery for me. I think it's showing. <laughs> so you know, there's a lot of talk of this kind of blended work. Uh, Leo Vrager was talking a lot about that as well, and how how employers, I suppose. Uh, will, will maybe may provide some sort of flexibility in terms of you know maybe people will come into an office three days a week uh, that's that sort of thing uh, the greens like that notion as well because it reduces commuter trips and it reduces people traveling in their cars so you know the, it's one of the things that they keep returning to is something that the, we'd like to hang on to a bit of it from from the pandemic is this uh, this new remote working uh, thing they're setting up regional hubs and and the like for for people to to do this and have broadband access and all of that so yeah it's it's one thing i expect we'll see but but as to when whether employers uh, get on board with it uh, that that remains to be seen i'm sure there there will be a lot of businesses keen to get their employees back to the office for logistical reasons and for interactions it's much easier to have the chats in the office than to be organizing zoom calls and and whatsapp groups and all of the rest of it so it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out in the in the coming months just on that point, Hugh, just to, to add there, if, if, if I can, I think that, that is the other thing, you, you refer to the, the views of the public on it, that is the other thing that I think is giving ministers some confidence about this reopening is that the regular research done by the Department of Health, which was I was looking at recently, shows that by and large the public is behind the government's, uh, the government's approach to it. So 59% of people saying the government's approach is appropriate in terms of the restrictions, 22% say it's insufficient. Just 19% of people say it's too extreme. Three quarters of people, almost three quarters of people say the social distancing rules are about right. 45% of people say that things are returning to normal at the right pace. 30%, which is a substantial minority, but a minority nonetheless, say they're returning to normal too quickly. But 25% of people say they're returning to normal too slowly. So, you know, the proportions between those have moved uh, a little, but the general picture since the, uh, since the spring has been uh, about half are in or abouts of people 
on board with the pace that the government is reopening and then minorities uh, saying too slow, too uh, too quick. So the government is reasonably comfortable in its uh, in, in its view, I think, that um, that the public is largely behind them on the reopening strategy. So, Jen, if this goes as the government hopes and as the government plans, and if this plan goes ahead more or less on schedule with those key dates at the time, and if most of the most of the restrictions are gone before the end the end of October, does that mean that for the first time in getting on for two years, COVID starts slipping down or even off the political day to day agenda? Yeah, it does to a certain degree. It does. I mean, obviously, I think you know one of the messages that we took from the. Uh, press conferences and speeches yesterday is that this is actually going to be here for really quite some time. It's, you know, it, it's the importance of it or or like Pat was talking about earlier on, the daily figures and, you know, the things aren't the way they were before. But I do think, you know, that they're keen for it not to be the number one political item on the agenda. And they're very keen to kind of shift their attention to issues like housing, for example, and we'll have that uh, housing for all plan launched tomorrow by Dara O'Brien and, and that's a that's a that's a big centerpiece for them and and they've been very keen to get it right. Now when you asked me that question, like there were a lot of ifs in there. Um and that that is that is true. I mean, when you look at what Neffet were in their letter, they said that in order to transition from this, you know, regulations based system with all these rules and all these restrictions to this new uh, system of personal responsibility and to have spectators and patrons and all that kind of stuff, that they had five key tests for that to happen. And they said, subject to those criteria being met, then we could move on. And like, just to mention those criteria, the first was that two weeks would have to have passed after hitting the milestone of more than 90% of people over the age of 16 being vaccinated. That's the government believe towards the end of October and um, that hospital and critical care occupancy is either reducing or reduced. Uh, the third is that confidence that infections are being suppressed. The fourth is a robust plan for testing, a new plan for testing and to keep that capacity should we need it. And the fifth is really important. It's the absence of a new variant. And there's a lot of anxiety about a new variant and um, being potentially more lethal or potentially more uh, that spreads easier or, or faster than the Delta variant. And the simple thing is that we actually just don't know. We don't know if there's going to be a new variant. We don't know what's going to happen over the winter. Um, and there's also concern that because we're all spreading a little bit more and we're all out and about more, that you're going to see the reintroduction of things that weren't there last winter, like influenza, common cold, other, you know, respiratory illnesses, that too will contribute to kind of hospitals being potentially overwhelmed. So, you know, that's why this October 22nd date, that's why they're so uh, keen to tell people that it's not our freedom day and you shouldn't, it shouldn't be looked at it that way. It's, it's a day in which they hope to be able to do these things and they'll assess it closer to the time. But it just strikes me that those five criteria set out by NAFIT, if they stick to them, I think they're all very hard to meet coming into a winter period. And do you think at all we're likely to see any negative reaction for example, to the winding down of, of PUP, Cormac? Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it, the, look, at the, the €350 Euro rate a week, it, it wasn't big bucks, but it was, it was significantly higher than the job seekers' payments of €203. Euro. Uh, it was designed, for the most part, to 
try and replicate the, the kinds of salaries that people who'd lost their jobs were on pre-pandemic. And they, that is beginning to, to be tapered, as the, as the government politely put it, uh, later this month. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, is, it is going to be one of the, the, the issues of contention as, as we move through this. And it, it is interesting that there is consideration or that they're talking about this um, additional support, this additional payment for people in the, the live entertainment industry um, who, who haven't been able to return to work. Uh, they're, they're still working on the details of that over the coming days. Uh, so, you know, but that in itself then will will potentially prompt accusations of unfairness from from others who, whose businesses have suffered. It's very hard to do a sector specific uh, support like that. Uh, so, yeah, we, we will we will see how, how that plays out uh, as, as it is tapered. And then looking ahead, Pat, uh, Jen mentioned the Darrell O'Brien's big housing plan, which is due out tomorrow. I presume you can tell me everything that's in it. I think Jen, in her reporting, has already told all of us what's, uh, what's in it. I refer you and listeners to previous editions of, uh, of the Irish Times. Um, yeah, this tomorrow is the housing, big bang. Um, you know, I mean, you were asking there about, you know, how quickly things move on from covid politically, I think they will move on, you know, more quickly than people think. Not that COVID will disappear as an issue because it will remain a key point of government management of the country, if you like, uh, but it will stop dominating absolutely everything. And politics is essentially forward-looking and COVID, we hope, will be in the past. And, you know, there's, you know, the, the hope in government that they will get credit for their management of the reopening and the vaccination programme. Uh, I, you know, I, I, have, my, I have my doubts uh, about that. Um, I mean, if you think back to Brexit, was something that most people believed had been ma- managed extremely well by the last government and uh, for which they received no credit or thanks at the ballot box in the last general election. So I think the uh, agenda will move on, political agenda will move on to housing. There's a budget to be done in the middle of October and part of that budget will be um, accounting for the climate measures that are necessary, the uh, climate action measures that are necessary to achieve the targets that the government uh, has set for itself and the measures will be a lot more controversial I think than uh, than the targets there's also you know review of the national development plan uh, which will be due in the autumn and the question of Ireland's corporation tax the future of Ireland's corporation tax rate so I think those sort of issues uh, particularly the budget will begin to crowd in on the political agenda very quickly and those kind of budget plans you know that this is the this is the time of year when that when that fraught process happens normally, Cormac, but it is kind of different as as Pat pointed out um, this year, partly because we're coming out of the pandemic, but partly because of the addition of this this very significant carbon element uh, and a number of other serious fiscal issues around the place. Sure. Well, I mean, some, some of it is, is set out already in the programme for government. Carbon tax, for instance, uh, there's going to be seven euro fifty per ton added each year for for most for most years uh, up until twenty thirty. So that's already set. But there will, there will be other measures that they'll have to find a way to pay for their their uh, major plans for 
for uh, retrofitting of homes for energy efficiency and things like that. But also then uh, to they're, they're going to have to find a way to to pay for the ongoing high costs of the the health service. Um, you know, the, the the Minister for Health, I suppose, Stephen Donnelly, has been given some comfort there and that, that Leo Varadkar in his Ardesh speech earlier this year said that uh, they they will look to maintain the extra four billion that the, the health service got uh, to, to in part to deal with the pandemic so that maybe his job has been made a bit easier, a bit easier but there's going to be massive spending in that in that area as well. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not going to be as easy last year as last year's budget where, where the pandemic was still in a very, very acute phase and we did not know how 2021 would play out. If, if as as everyone hopes and believes that we might be coming to the beginning of the end of the pandemic, uh, the the crunch time may begin to happen in terms of how much public spending will be will be allowed and uh, how it will all be paid for. And so, does something like is there the possibility, as as Pat I think was suggesting there, Jen, that that something might jump out of the woodwork, particularly in relation to the carbon measures, that might you know might become one of those lightning rod issues that that raise the ire of some segment of the population. Yeah, well, we know the Sinn Féin, for example, are opposed to um, increases in the carbon tax. And there is a little bit of anxiety in government about that debate coming up. And I was talking to someone um, in Cabinet who was saying, if we can't get this through, if we can't bring people with us on something as simple as carbon tax, then we have a real hell of a fight in relation to the climate plan change, uh, the climate change plan generally, which I thought was an interesting observation because that plan uh, is going to have to outline the climate plan that is a whole range of different measures which are going to be unpalatable, I think, and which are going to be difficult. And the job of the government will be to bring people with them. You know, like if you're talking about what that plan is going to contain, you're trying to convince people that they need to retrofit their home to a B2 uh, energy standard, that could cost anywhere between 20 to 50,000 euro per house, um, which is a lot of money. And even, you know, factoring in grants and different schemes maybe that the budget will provide for really it's the homeowner that has to pay that cost uh, eventually like even if you get a green mortgage or if you get a low cost loan you're still paying it back you know in in one sense or another um and you know if they if they're talking about hoping to get people to ditch their private cars and shift from that kind of mode of transport to public transport you know, then they're going to have to show that there's going to be enough public transport, you know, greater frequency, uh, a lower cost, you know, and, and you know, greater uh, timetables for that. So, like, there's there's a huge job here to be done to actually convince people that this can be done um, and also to factor in the cost of it. And then, obviously, Pat mentioned the budget, uh, the national development plan. Like, there's a lot coming up um, that could be kind of sticky territory. But, like, honestly, the impression I get from talking to different politicians after they came back from their holidays is that not that they're excited for it, but they do seem ready for it. Like there was a lot of exhaustion uh, after the 17 months of the pandemic and people who you talk to just being tired and I wouldn't say disengaged, but just generally, you know, wrecked. And I do get the impression that people are coming back and hoping to make a good shot of things that aren't COVID, which I suppose uh, would encourage you. And the first thing uh, this week, the, the, the first part of that will be the housing plan. And it's, you know, I mentioned earlier on that they, they, they really do want to get it right. But there's there's a lot to that plan. Um, and it'll be interesting to see as well how Sinn Féin react to it, uh, if it is indeed as detailed as, as Dara O'Brien is, is telling us. It's interesting to hear about that, that enthusiasm and renewed energy there, Pat. I do wonder, 
uh, and this is my own uh, my own personal opinion, that given that I don't believe that Micheál Martin is going to lead Fianna Fáil into the next election and he's due to hand over the reins to Leo Varadkar um, in, uh, at the end of autumn of next year, that this is really his last year after almost a quarter of a century in the front rank of Irish politics. And what better time to make his mark? I think Micheál Martin has been a man in a hurry since he became Taoiseach. Now, he couldn't have envisaged that it was going to be dominated so much by the uh, by a global pandemic, of course. But you're right, um, the, time is, uh, the time is running out uh, on him. By this time next year, he will probably be a bit of a lame duck Taoiseach, if indeed he is still Taoiseach. And there are people in Fianna Fáil, and we may see some outworkings of this at the forthcoming parliamentary party meetings, and um, there are people in Fianna Fáil who believe that he shouldn't be leader by uh, by this time next year. And that unrest is bubbling away in the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see, uh, you know, some outbursts of it over the coming weeks and uh, and months. But your general point is correct. Micheál Martin has a, a short time in political terms to make his mark as Taoiseach. So I think you will see him concentrate on, um, you know, on the climate stuff. That's a necessity by the nature, uh, because of the Greens' involvement uh, in this government, but also uh, on North-South stuff, which is one of the areas that he has, um, you know, that that he has, uh, I, I suppose, you know, innovated on in policy terms whereas he hasn't had the chance to do that in many other, uh, many other areas. And actually, we should say, just in relation to that, Pat, given that we are in a kind of a U-term, looking at the school year ahead, kind of a mode, uh, that there are elections in Northern Ireland, which could be, you know, could be very important next year, looking at a, a, recent, a poll this week, which shows, um, astonishingly, really, the DUP behind both of its rival unionists, unionist parties uh, ahead of that election. And all three unionist parties languishing in the low teens in terms of support, while Sinn Féin is up at 25 or 26 percent. The consequence of that were anything like it to be repeated on the day that the Assembly is elected next year would be that Sinn Féin would be the largest party in the Assembly and would therefore by right nominate the First Minister. Now, can unionism or any of the unionist parties live with the Sinn Féin First Minister? So, uh, yeah. I, you know, I think that will be a huge issue. I think north-south issues will take up some uh, uh, some hefty hefty chunk of Michal Martin's time in the coming year. Cormac, are you excited by the year ahead? Can't wait! I can't wait to get back into back into budget time. The the most wonderful time of the year when we just end up hassling government sources for weeks on end on any tiny little nugget of what's in in the budget. Um. So actually, but no, actually, in seriousness, um. With any with any hope, we will be doing a lot more non COVID nineteen coverage over the coming months, and uh, hopefully a growing amount of it as as the pandemic recedes, uh, which will be perhaps uh, you know it it'd be better news maybe for 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 the public and uh, more variety for for the reporters doing the work as well. 
even though you haven't asked me, Hugh, I'm going to answer the question as well. I think we're all looking back to getting back into Leinster House in two weeks. The doll will sit in Leinster House the week after next for the first time since, oh, I don't know, 1934 or something. Um, so we get, get to bid farewell to the soulless National Convention Centre and get back into Leinster House. More importantly, TDs and senators, party hacks and officials, uh, press officers and spin doctors will all be back in Leinster House as well. So we can now go back into Leinster House and pester people on the corridors again. So um, speaking for myself, I'm looking forward to that. I think you're going to agree with that, Jen. Ah, uh, listen, uh, this is a, a rallying call to anybody who works in Leinster House or worked in Leinster House and hasn't been in Leinster House and is going into Leinster House towards the end of this month. Come to me with your gossip. I have had no gossip for months. <laughs> I want gossip. I want stuff that I can't print. You know, tell me everything. So I'm really looking forward to getting back in, bumping into people because... True, untrue, doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Just tell me. We're in the market Make it for up. It. I don't care. Just tell me. Yeah, no, because um, I, I was in there yesterday, so I was Pat, and you do bump into people and you're, you know, you forget that actually a big part of the job is someone just going, oh, guess what just happened downstairs? You know, this kind of stuff. So hopefully we'll get back to having some more, uh, I wouldn't say gossipy coffee, but you know, a bit, a bit of variety, like Cormac said, yeah. Well, listen, it's great to see such enthusiasm and it's great to have you all back at school as well. So it's a, it, first day back, so it's a short day today, so we will leave it at that. But thanks to Jen Patton Cormac. Thanks also to our producer, Jennifer Ryan, and to our engineer, JJ Vernon. We will be back very soon indeed. And do remember, you can mail us with your thoughts and your questions at politicspodcast.irishtimes.com. See you soon. 